Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the big win over the Chiefs and a preview of the upcoming Browns game, and we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. This is Lyle Collins, and listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. What a huge win. We all know it. What a statement win. What a way to go in and say, you know what, you're the Chiefs and everybody's really high on you guys, but we're the Cincinnati Bengals and we're the hottest team in the league right now with the best quarterback in the league. And we're, if you guys notice, we're doing exactly what we were doing last year. We got hot at the right time. We were able to beat anybody down the stretch and it's looking like it's going to be the same thing this year. I know there's a few more games left, but it's right in front of us. The playoffs are right there. You know, unless we really crash, it's it's hard to believe that we're not going to make the playoffs. And as well as this quarterback is playing and this defense is playing and this running game is playing, that's how you make it through the playoffs and on to the Super Bowl. All right, before we get started, let's quickly go over some headlines. So Kevin Huber waved You know, Drew Christman was coming on. You could see it coming. Huber had a rough start to the year. It's been a noticeable difference in the punting and the field position with Christman in there. He's got a powerful leg, you know, kind of like a young Evan McPherson. You know, you got the younger guy in there. His leg hasn't seen as many miles as the older leg, and he's just kicking incredibly. And the holding is, is was a major thing, and that hasn't been any issue over the last few weeks. So, you know, that's the way it goes. It's a changing of the guard. You know how life is, guys. Nothing lasts forever. But a club record, 216 games from Kevin Huber, and a lot of really good moments, a lot of game-changing punts, a lot of punts inside the 20 and and field position changers. He had that one play where he was about to get it blocked and he puts the ball behind his back. You know, just a lot of great memories out of Kevin Huber. I don't know if he'll ever be back with the club. It would probably take an injury to Chrisman for that to happen. So we can assume that it's, you know, it's probably farewell for now, Kevin Huber, and thanks for your service, and we don't forget, and we won't forget those 216 games where you were a Bengal and you played great. All right, so where are we in the playoff race right now? We're the fifth seed in the AFC. We're tied with the Ravens. They currently have the tiebreaker over us. But with Lamar Jackson now, I don't know what's going to happen with the Ravens. I don't know if they're going to tank a few of these games that they were supposed to win on paper. I certainly feel good about playing them in Week 18 and giving them a loss there. So you know what? If they win their games and we win our games and we beat them the last week, we're going to win the division instead of them. So you know we do control our own destiny with the Ravens. We also control our own destiny with the Bills. If they win all their games and we win all our games and we beat them head-to-head, we would leapfrog them in the standings. They're currently the number one seed. The only team that we need help with is the Kansas City Chiefs. We need them to lose a game for us to have the same record as them. And if we have the same record, we have the tiebreaker on them as well. If Miami somehow gets there, we have the tiebreaker on them. We have the tiebreaker on the Jets. We have the tiebreaker on the Titans. We're really sitting in a good spot right now. And you figure, you know, with an 8-4 and four record... You win two more games, and you're probably in the playoffs. Now, that's not how we want to do it. We want to try to win three, four, five games, of course. But it looks like two more wins should do it. And we're playing a Ravens team that's that's struggling now and without their quarterback. You're playing the Buccaneers and the Patriots that are hovering around 500. you are playing the Browns that are below 500. So there's a lot of games in there that you know are tough on paper, but also very winnable on paper. And the way that the Cincinnati Bengals are playing right now, I think that we could beat anyone in the league, anywhere, anytime. And this week put Joe Burrow in the MVP conversation, finally. I mean, as Bengal fans, we knew it, and we were thinking all year, you know, why isn't he in consideration for it? Well, it takes a statement win like this to get everyone to notice. Again, he deserves it, we know. But beating Patrick Mahomes in a national spotlight like that, on a national stage really helps his his chances of being recognized for that award. And if the Bengals keep playing like they are, how could you deny him an MVP? He was pretty close last year. You know, that, that could have very well been his MVP award rather than Rodgers, who was out in the first round of the playoffs, I believe. So another chance in Joe Burrow's young career where he's playing in that MVP conversation. And let him go beat Josh Allen head-to-head as well. And that will really catapult him there. And it's like, how can you deny him unless they're going to give it to Jalen Hurts? 
you know, there's a lot of games left. Anything can happen, but at least our guy is being talked about in those conversations, and it's well-deserved. Then other personnel news. Brandon Wilson is going to remain on the pup list. They had 21 days to activate him, and they decided not to, so I guess he's not fully healed from the ACL injury, and it looks like we're going to have to wait till next year to see Brandon Wilson returning some kicks for the Cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, it's a shame, but you got to take it slow. Everyone's different. Some guys, some positions can come back in nine months, but some positions and some people, you know, everything's different in every circumstance. So the fact that he's not ready, it's a shame, but at least he will be ready opening day next year. And Hayden Hurst came out of the game early with a calf injury. I don't know the extent of it because I'm recording this on a Monday, so not all the injury information is out there. But he had a couple catches. You could tell this was going to be another 5-6 catch game for Hurst and contributing. But he was out pretty early in the first quarter. Not sure what happened. I, I didn't really even see the play that it happened on. I know he took a hard fall on one of his receptions early, but it didn't really seem like anything happened to his calf on that play. And a couple general things. I really like the Tony Romo, Jim Nance team. It's just so professional and interesting and informative. And, you know, a lot of people don't like Tony Romo because he's a cowboy and kind of like the chosen one. But I think he's got a lot of personality. He's a great analyst. And, of course, Jim Nance is a total pro. So it's nice having that number one broadcast team do your games. It's just it takes it to a, a different level. And it was definitely enjoyable to watch. And my girlfriend was watching with me, and she was like, who are these announcers? They're so good. And I told her, and she was like, oh, I should have known. I recognize the voices. And then on to a couple things. So we've won three straight against the Chiefs, and that's been the big conversation that we beat Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid three times in the calendar year 2022. And, yes, that is true, and it's an amazing feat, and no other team can claim that. We really have a good thing going against the Chiefs, and that's a very good coaching staff, and they make good adjustments, and they're creative. And to be able to outcoach them and outplay them three in a row is not just luck. You know, there's something there. And that's good because, you know, back in the day when you had Tom Brady in the top of the AFC, as an AFC fan of another team, you just felt like, how are we ever going to get by this guy? And I started getting that feeling with Mahomes after his first couple years. Like, oh, we have another Brady. How are we ever going to get by this guy? And the fact that we have his number is just great for the Cincinnati Bengals. And it means that we're going to get those chances to go to the AFC Championship game and a couple Super Bowls. But the big thing that I wanted to point out is we have done so well against some really star players on other teams' offenses. Like, if you think about it, we shut down Derrick Henry. No one does. We shut down Kelsey. No one does. We shut down Mahomes. No one does. Those are three players that just destroy other teams. And for some reason, Coach Anarumo or our defense, our scheme, our personnel, we have these guys figured out, and we've turned these superstar players into pedestrian players when they play us. Week 13 review, Cincinnati Bengals 27, Kansas City Chiefs 24. All right, let's start with some observations from the game. So first I'm going to do some general observations, then I'll do some offensive observations, and then some defensive and special teams observations. So with that said, I think taking the ball first in a game like this was huge. We won the toss and we decided we want the ball. We don't want to let Mahomes go up on us and play the, the catch-up game all day. And it worked totally in our favor. We got the ball. We marched downfield like an 11-plus play drive. And then we go up 14-3 to on them eventually by the start of the second quarter. And that was huge. And I think there are some games where you kind of want to play the double dip and kick the ball away. But we've seen lately it's been to our advantage to get out, jump onto the other teams early, and have them try to stay in the, in the car chase with our offense. Chris Evans and Joseph Osai had their biggest plays of their careers in this point, and it was in a huge game. The Osai sack came with four minutes left in the game on a third and three and really stunted a Chiefs drive, and they had to go for a field goal. That's a major swing in that game. If that drive continues, they score seven. You know, that's four more points added to their total, and, you know, that would be enough to have them win this game if you think about it in, in that regard. So a massive play at the right time for Joseph Osai. And then Chris Evans having the go-ahead touchdown late in the game, too. Amazing. We'll break down that play in a little bit. But both of those guys on the biggest stage had their biggest plays. And I want them to continue that momentum because there's two guys that haven't had a ton of opportunities, haven't really shined that much yet, even though us as Bengal fans know that they're talented players. And this was a step in the right direction at the right time. 
And then you saw Juju get hit early. He had a couple catches early, and then Bates just rocked him. And he was coming off a concussion, and it looked like he stacked on to that concussion with that hit from Bates. So his bad luck against the Bengals continues. You know, you don't want to see anyone get a concussion. That's a horrible injury. But just the, the karmic factor that's going on with Juju, you know, he, he used to, he was the guy who beat up our bully, right, with the perfect hit. And over the last couple of years, we've really kind of stuck it to him. And I'm kind of happy about that. And that Jarek McKinnon is fast. They said he was nursing a hamstring. He just takes off when he gets the ball. What, you know, what a weapon. And I think they didn't use him enough. He was very successful on most of his touches. And they were mixing him in with Pacheco, who had a decent day. But McKinnon is, is really explosive. And, you know, I don't, I don't like seeing backs like that. I'm hoping that we've seen the last of him. Then a coaching thing. We're inside of two minutes. You know, we're up. We're about to score another touchdown, make it 21. And we do the Trent Taylor jet sweep on the fourth and one. And it was a big momentum shift. Carlos Dunlap read it right away. And you know what? When Taylor came into the game, I turned to my girl. And I was like, see the guy who just came in, number 11? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, watch. He's getting the ball right now. So obviously I could see that from my living room. The Chiefs could see it when he came in. They were all over the play. And I, I don't know, maybe we should have tried faking the jet sweep because it was so obvious when he was in there that we were going to use him in some kind of gadget play. So with that said, we failed to score inside two minutes of the first half. And then the Chiefs get the ball and they just come out and they light us up on that first drive. They score a touchdown right away. And that's rare. We haven't had teams do that after halftime. Not a lot of scoring at all. And with our adjustments, we've really been able to lock things down. But you have to think about their coaching staff. You know, Andy Reid goes into the locker room. That's his mastermind plan is that first drive of the second half. And they executed it to perfection. Really, they, they were just running Pacheco, but it was really the big play to Valdez Scanling. It wasn't like they marched down the field with a ton of successful plays. They just whipped it up. You know, he, he got like a 40-something yard gain, and it put him in good position to score. And, of course, they had that drive scripted, and they executed but it was good to see after that that we buckled down and we only let up one more score out of them. So they had their big drive out of the locker room, and then the, the Lou Anarumo defense contained them from there on. And the good thing about it, even though the Chiefs came out on our first drive of the second half, we come out and we kick a field goal, we tie the game. So when they had just swung the game in their favor, we were able to tie it pretty quickly, so we didn't let anything get away from us. And what I liked about us, even though we were down seven late in the third quarter, we didn't get away from the run game. We kept mixing it in because it was working, and the balance this game was incredible. And, you know, you just start throwing in those situations. They're dropping seven guys. You could start running into problems. But we didn't do that. We didn't panic. We stuck with the run equally to the pass, and it worked in our favor. And then when we're down 24-17, I think it was smart. We were at a fourth and one, and then we had the procedural penalty, which put us at a fourth and six. So we decided to kick the field goal there. Now, I think if it was fourth and one, we might have gone for it there. But I'm glad we kicked the field goal because if you don't, you know, we kicked the field goal and now we're down 24-20. If we go for it, don't get it. Now we're down 24-17 and doesn't take Mahomes much to get into field goal range. You know, you could be looking at a two-score game if that doesn't go right. So I'm, I'm a big fan of kicking the field goal in that situation because as long as you don't give a touchdown up to them, it's still a one-score game after that. And with Joe Burrow in there in the fourth quarter you know we have a very good chance of scoring touchdowns. And the Kelsey turnover was huge. You could see how mad he was that it happened, and he was trying to really overcompensate the rest of the game. But it's nice when you can make one of their best players make a major mistake like that. That's a huge momentum shift. And it gave us the ball at the 47 and enabled us to score pretty quickly. And I think we were taking a lot of deep shots to Higgins in this game. You know, they weren't really successful for the most part. Of course, he had his big catches and big moments, but... It was nice to see that we weren't afraid to, to try to go downfield, even in some situations where I'm like, ah, that was kind of like a wasted down. But you have to keep the defense honest, and with this deep passing game, you know, you're one throw away from a 60-yard touchdown at any moment. And back to the Kelsey fumble, when we answered it with Evans' touchdown, that was like the permanent momentum shift, and the game was out of control and out of hand for the Chiefs. So Chris Evans really put the nail in the coffin, but it was caused, of course, by the the Kelsey fumble, and the Jermaine Pratt amazing, amazing play. And the missed field goal, you forget about that. That was a little bit of a break. 55-yarder, not an easy one, but it's a 55-yarder in the semi-cold, on the road. You know, that's not a gimme for any kicker. And I was, I was thinking, I was like, he's not making this. And sure enough, it hooked. And when that happened, it was like, oh, lights out, no overtime, no second chances. We got this game. 
and then we get the ball with 3.45 left, and we just run out the clock, kind of like we did last game. You know, we took it with, like, I think six minutes left and just never gave the ball back. And P. Ryan, they, they got tired of tackling P. Ryan at the end of the game. You could see it. And that's what was happening as we're killing these last couple minutes. The wind is totally taken out of the Chiefs' sails, and the Bengals go on to victory. All right, so offensive observations. I'm going to start off with Joe Burrow. An amazing game, a statement, an MVP conversation game. And he's doing all the things that we expect out of Joe Burrow. He's showing good escapability, good mobility. He's doing it with his legs as well. The rollouts, he's, he's rolling out, finding people. He's surveying the field. He had so much time to throw this game. You could see if you give him protection, he's unstoppable. And we saw that. Some of my favorite throws, he had that throw to Boyd on the first drive that was one of those classic throws where it's over the linebackers, underneath the safeties, and a huge gain at a huge moment for Tyler Boyd that really kept that first touchdown drive going. And then Burrow has the quarterback draw for the touchdown, and he was taking a few hard landings due to all that scrambling and all the mobility. They were hitting him hard, and there was a couple times that he landed on his throwing shoulder, and that's the last thing you want. You Land anywhere you want, but not on your throwing shoulder. And there were a couple where I was like, is he all right? Even one where he looked a little, it looked like his leg got a little banged up on one play. But he was fine. You saw him before the game, after the game. Looked like he, his, he was in fine health, even though he was taking a lot of those shots. And again, when you have a quarterback that shows that kind of toughness, it just gets everyone going. And there were a lot of situations where they were sending four guys and dropping seven. And we talked about that last episode, how that's difficult. There's so tight windows to throw into when you have that. And you have Jamar Chase just getting open at will, a bunch of catches in his comeback. And the, the two throws to Higgins that were just, he's totally covered. There's a guy on his back, and Burrow just throws it in there right into his chest like one of those undroppable balls. He did two of them that were just incredible, incredible throws. Maybe two of the best throws he's had all year. And he's had some amazing throws of all sorts. Intermediate, deep, short, lofts, bullets, but... I mean, those were huge. The one on 3rd and 11 to end the game was incredible. I, I couldn't believe he caught it, and that was a big moment because you give the Chiefs the ball with a minute or so to go, anything can happen with Mahomes, and they made sure that it didn't with that amazing throw and catch. So on to the rest of the offense. The offensive line played amazingly. Again, they let up one sack, and that happened with two minutes left in the game. They were getting great push in the run game. The interior of, I mean, Volson is just coming alive. His run blocking is incredible. He was holding up in the pass game. He was on Chris Jones a lot of the time. Karras and Kappa continue to just play excellently. Very few mistakes out of them. Karras had a penalty this week, and I was like, I think that was his first penalty of the year, if I'm not mistaken. But Collins held up. Jonah Williams held up. You know, Jonah had the two penalties, but the way he was blocking that whole game, I didn't even care. When Burrow has that clean of a pocket, great things happen, and it's so rare to see it. And over the last couple weeks, I don't know what's going on. These guys are gelling. I've been on them all year. Things seem to be working. We're going to get a good test next week when Miles Garrett comes into town because we haven't had that many elite pass rushers over the last few weeks. But, man, it looks like a really improved unit, and all five of them played very, very well the last few weeks. And even the tight ends are embracing the blocking role. You know, Hurst is more of a receiving tight end, but Wilcox and Asiasi, they've been in there and making contributions in, in the run game, getting you know getting their hands dirty, doing some physical blocking, not expecting to get th- balls thrown to them. Although Wilcox did have a nice catch early on for a first down, but you know Burrow's not looking for those guys. Those are just extra blockers in there that are dual threats because they can catch the ball. And Samaj P. Ryan is just coming alive when you, opportunity knocks. You answer, right? And that's exactly what he's doing right now. I mean, if you look at his legs, they look like that Saquon Barkley kind of thigh that everyone talks about. His legs are huge, and he's running so powerfully, and he's relentless, and he punishes the tacklers. You could see the last two games, they got tired of tackling him because he's just so such a physical, punishing runner. He had 100 yards rushing, and they're saying when Mixon comes back, Piron's still going to get a bunch of touches, and I'm firmly behind that. He's playing well, and it's a way to keep Mixon's career alive longer and fresher while it's going on. We talked about another game of T. Higgins making huge plays, the touchdown grab where he he bullies his way into the end zone, the game ceiling third and 11 catch, you know, take your pick, high pointing balls all the time. Just T. Higgins has been monster with Jamar Chase out. And even with Jamar Chase back this week, he was monster. 
and Chase was good too. You could see he wasn't 100%, but he kind of looked like it. You know, he was leaping, he was running, he made that one-handed catch that was out of bounds. That's all right. He had a toe-tap catch. Like, he really got back into the mix, you know, mixing it up and, and yards after catch and running in traffic and all that stuff. So, you know, he's he's looking like he's pretty much back to normal. And with, what, seven receptions for like 90-something yards, you, you can say that he's back. And it's major having him back. It just changes everything offensively. And even though Burrow leans on Higgins a lot, when it's really the most important moments, I mean, he will look for Higgins, but Chase is his guy. And you saw that a couple times this game where it was really big moments. He hits Chase, especially late in the game, that run after catch in the fourth quarter that you know was a major point in sealing this game. So great to have Jamar Chase back. And Trenton Irwin had a nice bailing us out on a first and 20, 13-yard catch to make it a second and seven, much more manageable. I think that was his only play of the game, but it helped. And the Tyler Boyd drop, I know no one out there is mad at him. He has made so many plays for us, so many clutch plays, so many plays of putting the team in front of his own body, lots of clutch catches. Tyler, I don't care that you dropped a ball like that. That happens to anyone and everyone. Sometimes the easiest layup you miss. It just happens, and you haven't had a history of that. You know, I, I know the Super Bowl thing, but please, Tyler Boyd is is a baller for us in every sense of the word, and I don't care that he dropped that. Even if we would have lost the game, I wouldn't have been like, oh, what's going on with Tyler Boyd? Oh, we shouldn't bring him back next year. No way. He's such a valuable player on this team, and everyone makes a mistake, and if you count up the other plays that he made, which helped us score, he more than made up for that one drop. All right, on to the defense. This defense is so underrated. And if you look at how we're stopping the run, like I said last week, Pratt and Hill are just in there on every run play. And Reeder is 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 right back to that Pro Bowl level. Another batted ball all over the run game. Logan Wilson, it's like the four of them. The ends are doing their job. The, other, the perimeter guys are doing their job. But on the interior, just that Reeder, Hill, Pratt, Wilson, those guys have been doing a lot of heavy lifting stopping the run game, and they're all playing excellently, and it's really, really contributing towards wins. And even DJ Reader, I saw him chase a screen downfield later in the game. You know, like late in the game, you figure a guy that big is going to be tired, and there he was, you know, running running down a running back out of the backfield. I don't think he caught him, but he, he still made the effort, and it's good to see that kind of hustle, and that's why he is a great player on top of his great ability. And Hubbard had a sack where he just beat the tackle so badly early. Tackle for loss on Pacheco. Just sideline to sideline is a strong word because as a defensive end, you're not really going sideline to sideline. But he is going from his position to the sideline that he's on very freely and really patrolling that area and making a lot of plays in the run game and a threat now to get sacks more than ever. Tackle for losses, a lot of those coming out of him too. So his excellent season continues. I mean, all these defenders that you probably aren't going to see in the Pro Bowl, all the ones I just named, throw in Hubbard to that mix, they're really contributing to wins for us this year. And Cam Taylor Britt is doing a great job. I mean, how the receivers weren't getting anything this game. You know, Scanley had the one big play. Juju was had a couple, but then he was out of the game. And none of the other guys really did anything. And Cam Taylor Britt was manning that one side. Here it is, a second-round draft pick, a rookie, only played a handful of games, and he is contributing to a winning effort on defense. I, I love what I'm seeing. You know, as much as we don't see Dax Hill in there, and it's you know it's a little upsetting because we want to see more out of our first round pick. This second round pick seems to really be shining right now, and I hope it continues. And he's going to get tested with these with you know Tom Brady coming in and Josh Allen, and then once you're in the playoffs, you, you know playoff quarterback football, he's going to get tested. But I think he's up for the challenge because he's been playing great. And Jesse Bates was all over the field, too. Another good game by him. couple big hits. He has the one play where he pretends that he's hurt in the end zone. I, I can't believe no ref caught that. They could have given him an unsportsmanlike for that. But he fell, stalled, came out of the game for a play, back in, running all over the field again. So one of Jesse Bates' best games as well. Then you had the McKinnon TD, and he beat Logan Wilson on that. That's tough. Like I was talking about before, how fast that he is. Both of them were on the other side, and Logan Wilson had to come all the way across the field through a little bit of traffic, you know, trying to cover one of the fastest guys on the field. So it, it made sense. They out-schemed us on that play and outperformed us on that play. But, you know, to limit the Chiefs to what we did is an incredible defensive effort, and Logan Wilson had a great game. 
And then how do you cover Travis Kelsey? Well, we were doing it by committee again. There was flowers on him. I saw Von Bell. I saw Logan Wilson. I saw Cam Taylor Britt for a play or two. Pratt was on him. Bates was on him. So we were just rotating a whole bunch of guys on him. A lot of it was zone-oriented. And we held this dynamite player to not a great game and made him have a very big mistake, which helped us win the game. All right, so I always like to go over the sacks from the game. There was only one, so this is going to be a short segment yet again. And it was at the two-minute mark in the fourth quarter. Collins kind of lost Karloftis. He hustled around the end, and Collins didn't get there quickly enough. So he, he beat him and was heading towards Joe Burrow. At the same time, Karras got beat by Chris Jones, so there was really no, nowhere for Joe Burrow to scramble. He slips on the turf and gets sacked by Karloftis, but Jones was right there as well. So that's technically on Collins with a little help from Karras, but no complaints about those guys. Aside from that, they really kept Joe Burrow clean, and again, that run blocking was phenomenal. Then I always like to do the first series of the second half just to see what we were up to in the locker room offensively. So we come out, it's Pirine up the middle for two yards with a three-wide receiver set. Then we have Tyler Boyd. He finds a soft spot in the zone for an out, kind of a deeper out there. Then we do a play action and do the same exact play to Tyler Boyd. So we, we saw that it worked, and we just did the same play disguised two different ways, which is clever. You know, some, some coaches on a simpler level say, hey, you know, you can run a handful of plays and just disguise them differently, and you can survive if you do a handful of plays really, really well. So that was a case of us doing that coming out of halftime. Then you had P. Ryan left for nine yards. And then we had a second and one. Joe Burrow does a quarterback sneak for the first down. And then we have a Burrow audible to P. Ryan, so he goes right for three. And then we do a swing pass to P. Ryan for four. And then we have four wides, and Boyd has the drop heading to the end zone. We kick a field goal. So in this case, we came out, and we were going to just keep going with P. Ryan and looked like we saw something with Tyler Boyd because it was all P. Ryan and three passes to Boyd. And we would have had the touchdown we didn't, but we still scored a field goal on that first drive. And the halftime adjustments, well, we let up 10 points to the Chiefs in the first quarter, first half. We let up 14 points to the Chiefs in the second half. So you can't really say that the defense did better in the second half. But, I mean, you're shutting down Mahomes in prime time and causing turnovers. And, you know, you know when, when the, you know your Burrow, Mahomes, Brady, Rodgers, those guys, when it's the fourth quarter, they just take the game to another level. So the fact that we can contain Mahomes shows that there were halftime adjustments that worked, even though they scored more in the second half than the first half. All right, let's move on to some key plays from the game. So the first key play was Joe Burrow, four-yard rushing touchdown to start off the scoring for the Cincinnati Bengals. So what do we do? We have four wides and a running back, and we have three wide receivers to the left. So the defense is really keying in on that side. There's only one Chiefs defender in the middle of the field. There's a linebacker. There's only one guy in between the hash marks because of the formation that we have set up. So I think Joe Burrow audible to this play. So he sees the one guy basically in the box right after the after the front four. Audible, snap of the ball. Piran actually misses his block but gets in the way enough where Joe is able to release forward through the line of scrimmage. The offensive line wins on all their blocks. And Joe hits the hole hard, makes a great dive, is able to keep his body parallel to the ground for just long enough to make it a touchdown. Excellent athletic play. And I think the play design and the play call really had them spread where there wasn't much in the middle of the field. Joe Burrow saw that. Joe Burrow touchdown. The next big play I wanted to highlight is the T. Higgins touchdown. So here you have three wides, a tight end, and a running back. And you have Wilcox and Higgins on the right. And they both do slants. And what happens is the safety kind of takes a misstep towards Wilcox. So they have a guy coming on top over Wilcox, and they leave Higgins one-on-one. -on -one. Higgins not really even open, but he just boxes him out, and Burrow just puts it in perfectly with a lot of velocity, basically putting a ball right into the receiver's chest where it's undroppable with velocity, and the guy's covered. And Higgins grabs it and powers past the corner that's covering him and powers through the safety that's coming over to help. Excellent individual effort on his part. And man, what a big time throw by Joe Burrow. The third big play was Chase's 40-yard reception. So you have three wide receivers, and Chase is alone on the right. You have Wilcox as the tight end on that side. So what happens is, again, our old friend Justin Reed comes up to cover Wilcox, and it leaves Chase one-on-one. -on -one. Chase beats the corner on the out. Cornerback dives, misses him, and then it's off to the races, and you see the guys having the angle chasing Chase down the sideline, and you know when he breaks into the open field like that, 
were all thinking it's going to be a touchdown. Of course, they had the angle. They were able to catch up to him, and they tried to take out his legs pretty viciously, and Jamar hops that. So he avoided a major leg hit at the end of that play with great athleticism, and it was a dynamite play to see Chase. You know, whenever you see Chase running downfield, it's one of the most exciting things that us Bengal fans can see. Fourth big play was the Jermaine Pratt strip. Another game-changing play at the most important time against a major opponent. We all know what he did with the interception against the Raiders. He's been generating a lot of turnovers by constantly going after the ball when they have guys held up. Exactly what happened here. So the Chiefs were in five wide, and Kelsey just did a turnaround in the middle of the field. Not even a crafty route or anything. He just found a weakness in the zone, turns around, Mahomes hits him, and then it's Kelsey off to the races, you know, figuring he's going to make a big play. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Floodgates opening. But Pratt doesn't let him go. He holds on to his jersey, and he just keeps pounding at the ball. Finally, the ball gets jarred loose, and it bounces right back up to Pratt. Major, major turnover. Big play by Jermaine Pratt. And that totally changed the outcome of this game. Huge play. And then the last big play is the Chris Evans 8-yard touchdown. So what they do is they have trips to the right side. So there's three wide receivers, and they have Chris Evans all the way on the outside. So what happens is one of my favorite plays where you have trips and you run the two guys to clear and the other guy comes underneath. The other variation is you run the two outside guys and the inside guy does an out. In this case, it's the outside guy doing an in. I know a lot of, word, a lot of words there, but in reality, that's what he did. He comes in from the outside, gets lost in the traffic, they forget to cover him. Actually, a mental lapse by the defense. Evans wide open across the field. Easiest throw and catch of Joe Burrows and Chris Evans' career. And you have a linebacker on that side, but he's covering Chase, and he's too wrapped up with Chase to react quickly enough. And he gets some you know, late push on Evans by the time he got in the end zone. But another one schemed up pretty well, but a major mental mistake by the Chiefs. Because you know when guys are in those trips kind of formations, you have to make sure everyone's accounted for. And you have to account for the fact that they're going to do some crosses and some legal picks and, you know, shielding guys to release other guys. So a big mistake by the Chiefs ends up being the game-winning score by the Bengals. So that's it. What's next? On to the Browns. Let's prove that we can beat the Browns, who have been our biggest nemesis. And that's all I'm going to talk about. You know, we can think about the other games that are coming, the road games, the divisional games, everything else. Really, all that matters right now is to beat the Browns, get that monkey off your back, and go 9-4. and four. Week 14 Preview, Cincinnati Bengals versus the Cleveland Browns. All right, so the Bengals take on the Browns at Paycor Stadium, so it's good that we have a home game against this nemesis divisional rival of ours. Kevin Stefanski has had some great success against the Bengals over the last couple years, so I'm hoping that it doesn't continue for this game. You have Alex Van Pelt as the offensive coordinator and Joe Woods as the defensive coordinator. And if you take a look at the Browns, they have a strong special teams unit. We saw it on display this week with that game-changing return by Donovan Peoples-Jones. And then you look at the offense. They're highly rated in the rush and somewhere near the lower middle of the pack in the pass. And defense, not so great against the rush and middle of the pack against the pass. So you're looking at a team that's kind of earned a 500-ish record. But for whatever reason, they're a dangerous team to the Bengals. And, you know, maybe it's not for whatever reason. They have a great roster. For some reason, they don't put it together against most teams. When they play us, something happens. I don't know if they get invigorated for the Battle of Ohio, or it's just the individual matchups, or it's some coaching things. We've, we talked about this last time. I don't know what it is, but there's something going on where we have a hard time with them. I guess it starts with Chubb and Garrett. All right, so let's move on to the offense specifically. Deshaun Watson's back. And he looked a little rusty last week. He had a bad interception in the red zone, in, in the end zone, actually, and only had like 130 yards passing. So he definitely wasn't ready to come in yet. Hopefully he, he has another sleepwalking week against us and we take advantage of it. But you can still see he's got the arm strength. He's got the mobility and the speed. You know, the, the physical elements are all still there. It's just a matter of him getting used to things again. And, you know, these diehard Browns fans are probably thinking, hey, with Watson back... We win five in a row, we can backdoor into the playoffs. You know, that's highly unlikely. But if that were the Bengals, I'd be saying the same thing. You know, I mean, you have to hold on to something. And if you're not mathematically out, you have a shot. So we don't know what we're going to get with Watson. We do know it's not going to be top of his game, Watson. But he can still play well enough to win this game, especially when he's got the two-headed monster of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. 
and Chubb has been an absolute Bengal killer. And you combine that with that offensive line, Wills, Betonio, Froholt, Teller, Conklin, all great players up there and a, a strong unit, which helps with your run game. And they have to lean on it. And Chubb is one of the best in the league. And Hunt is a great number two change of pace. So they've both been pretty deadly for us. And we have to figure out what we're going to do against these guys. Because if Chubb gets going, you know, we're going to see similar results to what we've seen the last couple games against these guys. Dearness Johnson, you haven't heard too much about him this year, but he is a number three. And he can also come in and be dangerous with fresh legs and a unique set of plays that they, that they tailor towards his strengths. Wide receivers, Amari Cooper's the main one. You have Bell, you have Peoples-Jones. You know, Cooper's a a big threat. Peoples-Jones is more of a deep threat. But, you know, that's not a totally intimidating group for me, and especially if Watson's not on his game. So it's really going to come down to stopping these running backs. Harrison Bryant is the main tight end right now, and he can do his damage. Njoku's hurt, which that helps us too. So offensively, you have to just sell out to stop Chubb. If you can succeed doing that, you're going to have a much better chance of winning. You're going to say, Deshaun Watson, go ahead, try to beat us downfield. We do have to worry about Watson scrambling as well, too. That's a, a dangerous element of his game. He didn't do a lot of that last week, but expect that he will if he's in trouble or if he's not throwing the ball well. And I always talk about how good the offensive line is for Cleveland, but you think about the matchups, our defensive line matches up pretty well. Even though even though they got us in the run game over the years, it just seems like, if you think about it, Hendrickson on Wills, that's like a Hendrickson advantage. Betonio on B.J. Hill, all right, you probably give that to Betonio, but that's close. And then you have Froholt and Teller on DJ Reader, and Teller's great. I'll take DJ Reader against anybody. So that's your matchups there. And then you have Hubbard on Conklin, and Conklin's a little banged up, not getting any younger. So even though that offensive line is very, very good, we match up pretty well along the front. So hopefully that continues. Hopefully we get to Deshaun Watson just like Tannehill. I want to see Hendrickson get a piece of Deshaun Watson and you know just give him a little wake-up call, a little welcome-back call. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I say take the Bill Belichick approach, sell out to stop Chubb, and let Deshaun Watson try to beat you. Let Deshaun Watson go toe-to-toe with Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow is the better quarterback. We we keep Chubb in check, we're winning this game. Defensively, another good unit. I mean, the rankings aren't amazing, but there's a lot of good players, and Miles Garrett is a dangerous, dangerous defensive end. He can change the game by himself with a strip sack, or beating Jonah badly and, and blindsiding Burrow. There's just a lot that makes me nervous about playing Miles Garrett because he's had such good success against Jonah. So you have to figure out what to do. It can't just be one-on-one on an island and assume that Jonah's going to do the job because he's been playing well the last couple weeks. You have to kind of go with case history here and assume that Jonah's going to get beat his share of times. So you want to bring over some help with a, with a running back, an H-back, a tight end, You want to get Joe Burrow rolling out to the other side. You want to have some quick passes. You want to get the run game going so he just can't tee off and he's got to keep contained. You know, all the usual things when you face an elite pass rusher. But he is like the Nick Chubb of their defense. If you can contain him, you have a much better shot at winning this game. If he gets to be his all-pro player self, bad things can happen. Rest of the defensive line, you have Elliott, Taven Bryan... Clowney, who always seems to get a dirty hit on Burrow. So this is a dangerous game. You know, even if we go in and say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to beat the Browns, and we do, there's, there's danger in it. You know, with that good pass rush, Clowney has been dirty. Garrett's a monster hitter. You just never know. I just don't want to see anything happen to Joe Burrow in this game. And you can't go into games thinking that. But, you know, that could be the worst-case scenario. Oh, yeah, we beat the Browns. We're 9-4, and four, but, you know, Burrow's going to miss some time. And I shouldn't even put those words out out there because it's bad luck, I guess. But it is a concern of mine when you're facing a Miles Garrett. Linebackers are rangy, solid, big hitters. Owosu Koromoa, Taki Taki, both of those guys will hit you. And both of those guys have also cheap-shotted Joe Burrow. So, Joe, look out this week. Really protect yourself. And hopefully they adopt that into the game plan, too. There's been a lot of scrambles. There's been a lot of quarterback draws lately. And there's been a lot of quarterback sneaks when you need that one yard or so. Just We really have to watch it this game because it just seems like the Browns have a target on Joe Burrow more than most teams. Maybe because it's divisional and there's a the Ohio rivalry. But moving back to the defense of the Browns, you have at corner, you have a lot of talent there. You have Denzel Ward back healthy. Newsom is playing decently. Emerson, the rookie, is having a good year. And you don't even think about A.J. Green, who had a big interception when they played us last time. Not our A.J., the other A.J., 
and Greedy Williams is another high draft pick that they have in the mix there. So they have a lot of different guys they can bring in that are good players. Johnson, Delpit, a good safety tandem there. So, man, when you think about it, they're good in the front four, they're good at linebacker, and they have a bunch of talented players in the secondary. That That's some tough sledding. So what do you have to do to win this game from an offensive perspective? Quick passes, put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands. I, we do have to do that. We can't just be afraid of Garrett and everything is short and dump-offs, but we don't we don't operate that way anyway. We, we scheme things up. We have the confidence. We go downfield. Like, I'm watching the Jets with Mike White, and they were like 16 yards out at the end of the game, and they throw a check down. I'm like, you don't trust this quarterback to throw 16 yards into the end zone? You know, and that's not a problem with Joe Burrow. Even if the pressure is getting to him, he's going to get the ball downfield. But you have to establish this run. Hopefully, Mixon's back. Piran has been running like a maniac these last couple weeks. So the one-two punch of those guys can help. We have a fresh guy in there. The offensive line is run blocking really well. You know, hopefully that'll set up everything. So I believe you really do have to establish the run, and you have to not let Miles Garrett beat you by himself. Everything else. You know, I'll take our receivers over their corners, no matter how good. You know, Denzel Ward, he's a tough matchup for anybody. But I still think, you know, Chase can get open on him. Higgins can get open on him. Boyd can get open on him. And those three can get open on all of these guys in the secondary, regardless of their names, their pedigrees, and how well they're playing. They have good players on defense. We have good players on offense. We're just going to have to win our individual battles. We know that the game plan is going to be right there and schemed up very well. And we're going to avoid some of the pitfalls that we had last game against these guys. And it also, I don't want to get behind. You get behind on them and they and they just start running the ball with Chubb. They can really shorten the game on you. So we need to be able to run time of possession. Don't be afraid to unleash Joe Burrow. Contain Miles Garrett. Man, that sounds like a lot that you have to do to win the game. But when you have a team like this that you have trouble with, there are several different things that you have to worry about. So those are the keys to it. My prediction Regardless of the talent and the bad luck against these guys, 27-19 Cincinnati Bengals. They can only get in the end zone once to kick a bunch of field goals, and we score a bunch of touchdowns and a couple field goals, and we win the Battle of Ohio, move on to 9-4, and four, and say, bring on Tom Brady. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Frankie, excellent, just like every other Bengals fan. Man, it's been a fun couple weeks. It's exciting to be a Bengals fan right now, I'll tell you. Absolutely. I mean, this team is clicking. I know we're Bengal fans. I know, you know, we bleed orange and black, but come on. I mean, this team is better than last year's Super Bowl run due to the fact the money's paying off for the offensive line right now. We're running the ball. Joe Burrow's getting the protection he needs to make his uh, reads to all his uh, receivers. And I mean, he's he's getting out of there. He's just making the right decisions with the ball. I agree with you on that, definitely. And you're right. It seems like the money on the offensive line is finally paying off, and we weren't sure that it was going to. Um, what, what are your thoughts on what you saw specifically against the Chiefs from a team standpoint? Going into the game, I was confident. I I, I I felt good after the Tennessee win, uh, and I just I just felt confident. And it showed with the Bengals, even though they won by three, they're making opportunities with the strip sack. They're running the ball well. I mean, this team is deep, meaning that guys are coming in and. P. Ryan, Taylor making some big catches. I mean, he made uh, Carlos Dunlop made a nice play. That was going in for a touchdown. Chris Evans coming off the bench and making a catch and walking in the end zone. I mean, Frank, the the way this team is playing on defense, also. I mean, listen, you really didn't see Apple, Cam Taylor, Britt. Didn't really see any any of them during the game. I mean, the money that they spent the last two years on free agency has been the best spent money in the history of this organization. These guys are showing up and performing when needed. 
And you, you know, Frank, I'm going to say something obscure that stood out to me in that game that I don't think I've seen like any other coaches, let alone previous coaches of the Bengals do, is that get aggravated and yell at their star player. When Jamar Chase did the, the money thing going off the field when T. Higgins scored, uh, to, to Reed, who made the comments during last week, did you see Zach Taylor yelling at Jamar Chase? I mean, do you remember when Chad Johnson did all those stupid things and Marvin Lewis just stood there, didn't say a word, and all these other coaches in the NFL, when their star player did something, that stood out to me that this team is ready ready to take that next step in the winning Super Bowls. Uh, even Jamar Chase in the locker room, I was listening to uh, the locker room report after the game on the radio, and Jamar Chase said when he was went out of bounds on that one play in the fourth quarter to stop the clock, he said T. Higgins ran up to him and yelled at him, stay in bounds. And he says, I needed that. He says, I need that to be a better player. So this team is primed. They have the mentality, and they just said after the game in the conferences, it was a win, just another win on the next week. I mean, this team is ready for the next step, Browns. I hear you, Tom, and that's an excellent analysis with Coach Taylor, you know, yelling at Jamar Chase. A lot of times you don't want to upset your superstar and to Jamar's credit, he took it well. You know, he knew he made a mistake and he didn't pout or let it affect him. And that's a, a, an attribute of his maturity and the kind of character that he has. Even with T. Higgins, he didn't get mad at Higgins for yelling at him on the field. He actually said, wow, you know, this could make me better. So, so excellent mentality out of one of our superstars. Absolutely. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's from the top down, which is nice to see that that the coaching staff doesn't put up with the the uh, the little uh, showboating camera on me attitude. So um, it's great to see. But going back to that, you know, guys come into this lineup and they want to make play. Look at on the defensive side, Osai making that big sack to make them kick that field goal. But you know, it just shows that you know guys are paying attention. They want to come in and and make a play. So, um, you know, hats off to the coaching staff and, and the players for buying in. Yeah, and I, just something that you said a little ways back about Eli Apple and Cam Taylor Britt, good friend of the show, Jordan Hude from Hude Nation News, actually told me about a stat that I, ne- I didn't realize. But between Taylor Britt and Eli Apple, they let up one reception for five yards that whole game between the two of them. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, against the Chiefs, against Mahomes. Like, no one does that. I, you know, like, it, it's something, uh, you know, I'm not going to go out and say that, oh, you know, we're, the Chief, we have the Chiefs number. Listen, we're thankful that it was played in Cincinnati yesterday, but I felt confidence that we, we can beat them along with anybody else on our schedule. As long as Joe Burrow's healthy, we're on our way. And and it's been said, you know, on the, the you know, the talking heads during the day today. But that pass on third and eleven to T. Higgins to seal the game. I mean, come on. You couldn't have thrown it better in a better spot. It was thrown in a perfect spot where T. Higgins was covered. Burrow getting pressure on him, and I don't think a quarterback in the NFL could could make a throw like that, other than Burrow. Um, I know I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking as a fan, but man, I'm so glad he's on our team. Yeah, and that that throw it was one of those throws that was almost undroppable. Like it just was put so perfectly, you couldn't do anything but catch it. It really was one of his best throws of the season. Even though you know there's been a lot more 
high-profile and more glamorous throws. That was a great one. And I think you bring up a good point, too. With Burrow, you always have a shot at winning. And furthermore, the team believes that. And that's that's big if your team mentality is, hey, with this guy back there, we can win anytime, anywhere, or come back anytime, anywhere. Absolutely, Frank. Why do you think those free agent linemen came? Because they know they can win because of Joe Burrow. I'm telling you, he's taking this franchise, put it on his shoulder, and with the smart drafting and the smart money spent on free agency, the team is helping them now lift this organization to higher heights it's never seen before. Well, what are your thoughts on the upcoming game against Cleveland? Well, I'm going to, you know, you know, shock you maybe, but I'm a little worried. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm all out worrying, but I have confidence this team will beat them. But that little inkling in the back of your mind that, you know, now do they have our number? But I just think now the confidence oozing from this team is uh, higher than it's ever been. So uh, I'm confident, but there's that little inkling saying that, you know, uh, this is going to be a little tougher game than we hope. AFC North standings. The Cincinnati Bengals are currently 8-4 and four and in first place in the AFC North. They're tied with the 8-4 and four Ravens, and they lead the 5-7 and seven Browns and the 5-7 and seven Steelers. The Bengals are currently the fifth seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode will be a review of the Browns game and a preview of the upcoming game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.